uh, aware of that. Just a couple of things. If I had you raise your hand if you've been personally touched by divorce, I would say 80% of the hands would go up. Either you've been divorced, your parents, your in-laws, a brother, a sister, a best friend. It's going to be 80%, 90% of us. If we, exp- if we extend it to friends, it's 100%. Immediate family, it's probably 75 or 80. And, and there can be some emotions that come with that. For, so, for some of you, honestly, it's, it's, there's a bit of pride and self-righteousness. I would never do that. I would never, no matter what, you kind of get a little puffed up. And there's a reason Solomon said pride goes before a fall. It's because pride cuts us off from the grace of God. And that's the only way any of us make it. And so if, you, if there's any of that in you, I'd encourage you just to repent and recognize. Except for the grace of God, that's all of us. All of us are wrecked. It's what Bill read at the beginning. All of us identi- identifying ourselves as the chief sinner among us not elevating ourselves at all. For some of you, there's, it's an issue of shame, particularly if you've been divorced personally. You're probably trying to figure out if you can slip out the back somehow now. That's not helpful, and it's not from the Lord at all. Even if you blew it in every way, I'm going to say, I'm going to lay out some biblical criteria for divorce and for remarriage, and if, you're, if you missed all of it, you blew it on every point. Divorce is not the unforgivable sin. There's grace for you. Jesus clearly says he makes everything new, and that's you. He makes you new. Any broken relationship in your past, he will make that new. And so I want you, if you're feeling any of that shame, that's from the enemy. He's trying to shut you down to keep you from really engaging in the grace of, with the grace of God. Don't do that. And for some of us, it's justification. That's kind of where we are. Maybe for yourself or maybe for somebody you love. You know, well, this is an exception to those rules. Here's, here's the defense. Here's why. Here's how come this case doesn't fit in with all the others. And I would say with, don't, that's not helpful either. Jesus is the truth. If we're going to follow him, we've got to face reality. Some of us made mistakes. Some of us, it, they're not mistakes. Some of us committed sin. Let's own it. All right, I did that. I messed up. And I put it here in this box. There's no statute of limitations on sin. It's dealt with through confession and repentance. And so we need, the first step of that is admitting, you know what, I messed up at this point. And that can be painful or it can be freeing, but either way, that's what's necessary if we're going to move ahead with the relationships that we have now is recognizing that we might have messed up at some point in the past. So I, I want to take some time and pray here before I jump into this. You can bow your heads. If you're married and your spouse is sitting next to you, I'd encourage you to grab their hand. I want to pray for a couple of groups. One, if you're a child of divorced parents. I mean, particularly if you were uh, under 18 when your parents divorced. I want to pray for you. God, my prayer for those in this room who were raised in, you know, we call them broken homes. Homes where they, maybe they saw their parents fight, they witnessed divorce, they lived through that. God, my prayers in the next few minutes, you bring some measure of healing there, particularly for those who, who want to know where, where were you.
for people who wonder why you didn't stop things. God, I pray that you would somehow, in your grace, minister your comfort and your healing there in any uh, baggage, for lack of a better word, that's being carried forward, that's affecting present and future relationships. God, we want to cut that off in Jesus' name. All the good things from mom and dad, I pray that we would receive it. But the junk, God, I pray it would stop. This sense of marriage isn't forever, it doesn't work, you can't trust, you can't commit, you can't really share. Whatever those things are that these men and women are bringing forward, God, I pray that you would cut those things off again in Jesus' name. It's a little bit of a different group. Are there any kids in the room? Are there any kids? No? Okay. You keep your heads bowed. For some of you, uh, you're married, but you started off not awesome. You were sexually active before you got married, and you kind of think, well, it's okay because we got married. I just want to pray for you. You need... There's some things that you'll need to do uh, when you get home. I don't want to pray for any in this room that are married but who were sexually active before their wedding. And God, that's a, that's a sin. Engage, dating, commit, doesn't matter. No guilt, no condemnation, just the reality. And God, I want to pray that that crack in the foundation does not carry forward. God, if there's any uh, residual guilt around that, God, I pray particularly for husbands who would confess to their wife, I didn't do well in this area. I dishonored you in this area, and I need you to forgive me. And God, even that, that simple statement would bring a new level of joy and peace and freedom to their marriage and fulfillment to their marriage. God, we don't want any cracks in the foundation. It's hard enough as it is, much less going in with a limp. So God, I pray for those couples as well. And God, I pray for any, all of us who have been personally touched by divorce as we walk through this, that we would recognize the heart of the one telling us is the one who hung on a cross for us. This is a heart of compassion and love, not of anger and disappointment. And God, I pray through me or around me or however it needs to be communicated, that all of us would hear the heart of our Father this morning as we wade into this topic. In Jesus' name, amen. You don't want anybody feeling uh, stirred up about this in a negative way. Let's just dig in and see. If you're one of those couples I was talking about, y'all need to talk about that, even if it was 15 or 20 years ago. Again, there's no statute of limitations on sin. You just need to clean it up. You confess to one another. You confess to God. You repent, and then you move ahead without any guilt. Okay. Mark 10, starting in verse 1. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. So he's in a public setting teaching a group. He was just with his disciples. Now he's pulled out. There's a crowd. Some Pharisees came and tested him by saying, asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? We're going to come back to this at the end, but it's crucial right now that we recognize context. He's being tested. This is not uh, a battered woman coming to Jesus saying, can I, can I get a divorce? 
This isn't a man whose wife is repeatedly stepping out on him saying, is it okay for me? I've done everything I know to do. Is it okay for me to get a divorce? These are Pharisees who are trying to, they're testing him. That word, it's tempt, is what they're saying. Jesus is in this region where a guy named Herod Antipas is the ruler. And if you remember back in Mark 6, Herod has married a woman named Herodias. That's a bit confusing. And John the Baptist called Herod on it. He said, you can't marry her. And the reason you can't marry her is because she was married to your brother and she left him to marry you. That's wrong. You can't do that. She had no grounds for divorce. She deserted Philip, your brother, in order to marry you. And Herod threw John in jail. Herodias was ticked off at him and at the first opportunity had John beheaded. And so the Pharisees are trying to get Jesus to say something similar. Let's see if we can trap him. If he says, no, it's not lawful to get a divorce, all right, well, maybe we can get him arrested as well. If he moves in a different direction than maybe to the Jews, we can say, see, he's not being faithful to the law. Again, this is not a, this is not a pastoral counseling setting. This isn't someone with an issue of brokenness. This isn't anybody looking for direction with a sincere heart. These are religious leaders who are looking to get him in trouble. This question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Every Jew knew the answer was yes. Divorce was accommodated in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 24 says this. You can go back and read the rest of it. This is just the first verse. If a man marries a woman and she does not please him because he has found something offensive in her, then he may draw up a divorce document, give it to her, and evict her from his house. Let me read this in another translation. This might help you in your NIV. That was a a different translation. This is Deuteronomy 24 in the NIV. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent, that's a better word, if he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and gives it to her and sends her from his house, and then it gives the stipulations for what you do after you send a woman away. It basically says you can't remarry her, which was to protect the woman. What's going on, we've talked before about the oral law, and the oral law was formed by, or created by these rabbis, and there were different schools of rabbinic thought. One was very conservative. I think it was called the Shammai, Shammai, S-H-A-M-M-A-I school. And what that guy said is that word, indecent, that I just read in the NIV, it literally means a thing of nakedness. It meant sexual immorality. The only reason a man could divorce his wife, women were not allowed to divorce men. The only reason a man could divorce his wife was if she cheated on him. If a man cheated on his wife and the, and the woman he had sex with was single, then she became his second wife. If he had sex with another with a woman who was married to another man, then he had to write her a certificate of divorce. The rule was he has to voluntarily do it. If he didn't volunteer, then he was beaten until he volunteered. That's the way it works. That was to protect the wife. So that was this school of Shammai. They said, that's it. There's no other reason for divorce. But some other rabbis from the school, Hillel, H-I-L-L-E-L, were more liberal. There's some, uh, not to get into it, there's some uh, debate over the construction of this Hebrew phrase, which is translated literally, thing of nakedness. And there's an extra word in there, thing. And they said, "Why, why did they put this word thing in there? And so they created this entire category of divorces called any cause. That's in quotes. That's what they called it. For us, it's a no-fault divorce. And you can see this in Matthew 19.3. Some Pharisees came to Jesus in order to test him. They said, is it lawful to divorce a wife for any cause? And that any cause could be in quotes. That was the type of divorce these guys were 
promoting. It was very prevalent in Jesus' day. It was the, the dominant form of divorce. And according to these rabbis, a man could divorce his wife for any reason. Anything that she did that was offensive to him or embarrassed him. Everything from burning a meal to getting wrinkles. You could divorce your wife. Seriously. You could divorce your wife for any cause. And you can imagine what that would do to society. But again, that's the most dominant, that's the pre- most prevalent form of divorce in Jesus' day. And so that's what they're saying. Matthew 19 is a parallel passage to what we just read in Mark, and that phrase is inserted in there for clarity. Can you divorce, is it lawful to divorce for any cause? They're asking him to weigh in. Again, it was lawful to divorce. We just read it in Deuteronomy 24. They're asking about what are the grounds. Right. What did Moses command you, Jesus replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote to you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. So here's the key pivot point for all of us in all of these issues. Jesus says, what did Moses command? And they reply with Moses permitted. Those aren't the same things. Command and permit are not synonyms. They're skirting the issue. What Jesus wants to know is, from this authority, Moses, what did he tell us to do? And when they come back with saying, well, Moses allowed us to do this. And for for us, that's the pivot point. Do you want to know what God commands or do you want to know what God allows? There are things that God allows that he never commands. A command... Authority relationships. So think of authority relationships. The one in authority issues commands. The one under authority obeys. Rooted in the heart of the one with authority. Those commands issue from his heart or her heart. Again, authority relationships permission is sought by the one under authority, granted by the one in authority. Usually permission is rooted in the heart of the one under authority. Think parent-child. Parents, you don't ask your kids for permission. You give them commands. Your kids don't give you permi- don't give you commands. They ask your permission. That authority relationship. Your kids ask you, is it okay for me to fill in the blank? It's your responsibility to grant them permission. When it comes to telling them what to do, you start. It's what's in you. And then you give those commands to them, and they obey. Again, not synonymous. And that's what Jesus replies to this, He says it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you that law. It's a concession to sin. At the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's what is commanded. Verses 6, through, or excuse me, yeah, verses six, 7, and 8, that's what Moses commanded. The understanding is Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Obviously, the stuff in Genesis happened before Moses was born. It was all passed down generation to generation orally, and the thinking is that Moses compiled all of it and wrote this document. And so when Jesus says Moses, he means everything in the first five books of the Bible. And so that's why Jesus quotes Genesis. That's pre-fall. The fall of humanity is Genesis 3. So this is God's original intention. When he made the first man and the first woman before sin ever entered the world, he's saying this is what Moses commanded. It actually even goes back beneath, underneath Moses. This is how God originally intended. One man, one woman, forever. Period, dot, the end. 
no debate. That's what marriage is biblically. In the eyes of God, one man, one woman, forever. Any deviation from that is a deviation from God's original intents and purposes. Got it? Any deviation from one man, one woman, forever. We can all come up with excuses and it doesn't matter. This is what God originally intended. If sin had never entered into the world, this is how every relationship, every marital relationship would function. One man, one woman, forever. Then Jesus issues this conclusion based on this command. That's verse 9. What God has joined together, let man not separate. Therefore, therefore what God has joined together, because of all this stuff in Genesis 1 and 2 about how God created people and how God forms them together and two become one, therefore because of all of that, because of all of this work of God, what he's put together, let man not separate. Malachi 2.16, God says, I hate divorce. And he doesn't say it like, this. He's not pointing a finger. He's not angry. He says it with a broken heart because he knows the consequences of us trying to pull apart what he has put together. It doesn't work well. All of you have been personally touched by divorce. You know it doesn't work well. We can legally separate what we have legally joined. It is not easy to relationally, emotionally, spiritually separate what God has put together. Even in circumstances where divorce was the best option, it's still a wrecking ball. That's what Jesus is saying. What God puts together, that's divine work. Don't undo the work of God. So that's, that's the command. So now, that puts us in a bit of a quandary when it comes to actually relating to one another and living out this whole ideal of marriage. So what is permitted? That's back in verse 4 and 5. The, the Pharisees say, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send his wife, wife away. And Jesus says, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. Divorce has all, in Jewish society, divorce was permitted. And just before I forget, divorce carries with it the right to remarry. If you go back and read Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, that whole section is on how uh, you carry on as in, a, in a new marriage. And so the, the right to, for a Jew, when they hear the word divorce, they're thinking that means I can remarry, and most of them would have remarried. That's not necessarily understood for where we're coming from, but I just want you to know biblically that those, those things are put together. Divorce and the right to remarry, are put. Are, those are hand in hand. At the bottom of every divorce certificate a Jew would have given, it says you're free to marry whoever you wish. That was the last line on the paper. So that, that's understood. So what Jesus is saying here is, yes, there are, there, there are these certificates of divorce, and so he's weighing in on this controversy. Can you get a divorce for any cause or not? I'm gonna, here's the punchline. There's three reasons biblically that you can get a divorce. I forgot the outlines. Does anybody want an outline? It's too late. You need the outline for this one thing. There's a website on that outline where you can go back and you can read the, uh, you can get some background on this. So if you're really interested, I'd encourage you to grab one. I don't have the website up here. Uh, I can give it to you later if you need it. So there's three reasons, biblically, why you can get divorced. One is adultery. We just 
We've seen that. That's, Jesus says that in uh, Matthew 19.9. Anyone who, who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. So there's except for marital unfaithfulness. If you're unfaithful, yes, you can get a divorce for that. The other is neglect. This is Exodus 21.10 through 11. This is actually where most of our traditional wedding vows come from. If a man marries another woman, he must not deprive his first wife of her food, her clothing, and her marital rights. And you can figure out what those things are. If he does not provide her with these three things, she is to go free without any payment of money. You can read 1 Corinthians 7 and see Paul supporting all of that. So if a man doesn't provide his wife food, clothing, and her marital rights, then that's grounds for divorce. He's breaking the commitment that he made to her when they got married. So you've got adultery, you've got neglect. Abuse is a severe form of neglect. So obviously if you're being physically abused in some way, that counts as well. That's breaking those marriage vows. And the last section, or the last grounds, Paul adds in 1 Corinthians 7, and it's abandonment. If the unbeliever leaves, let him or her do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. So he's saying if somebody, it takes two people to stay married, and if somebody, if they just leave, you can let them go. If they're abandoning the relationship, then you're free to remarry. So those are the, that's it. Adultery, neglect, with abuse being a severe form of neglect, and abandonment. That's it. Those are the three reasons, biblically, that we can divorce. Falling out of love doesn't work. Or whatever, you know, we just don't mesh anymore. There's no chemistry. We just move, we grew apart. We're moving in two different directions. None of that works. Losing hair, gaining weight, that doesn't work either. Whatever the reasons are, none of those, are they, they don't count. Biblically, there is no such thing as a no-fault divorce. There's fault. There's fault. And these are the three faults, adultery, neglect, and abandonment. If there's not one of those three faults, then the marriage stays together biblically. Last couple of verses. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. This passage is tricky. If, uh, if you look at the parallel passage in Matthew, it's much clearer what Jesus is referring to. He's speaking to remarriage, and this makes it sound like you can never remarry. It's not really what's going on. He's, again, context is important. What he's referring back to is this relationship between Herod and Herodias. And he said, this, they're committing adultery. She didn't have grounds for leaving Philip. Therefore, the relationship she's in with Herod, even though she gave her uh, ex-husband Philip a certificate of divorce, even though she did that, in God's eyes, she's still married to him because she didn't have any reason to leave. So she is committing adultery. And he would say that to this any cause divorce. Everyone who's getting a divorce under this any cause heading. You burned my toast. You've got wrinkles. I don't like you anymore. I found somebody better. We've grown, whatever that is. Anyone in that heading, what Jesus is saying, biblically, it didn't work. In God's eyes, this thing is, you're still together. That is committing adultery to, to drop one to pick up another. That, that, that's serial monogamy. That's all that, and it, it doesn't work in the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is referring to. Again, this whole idea of remarriage is implicit in the word divorce, and it's acceptable to Jesus if you get a divorce under these biblical guidelines. If you're divorcing for adultery, neglect, slash abuse, or abandonment, then you're free to remarry. Got it? We good? Okay. A few things just to pull out. Marriage is for life. 
You saw that at the beginning, and we need to own that. Don't, we don't need to try to skirt around that. Anytime there's a divorce, it's, uh, there's sin involved. We can decide who gets how much of the pie, but there's always sin involved every time there's a divorce because God's original intention, one man, one woman, forever. Divorce is a, it's a recognition that we live in a fallen world People are going to split up, so let me figure out, this is God, let me figure out how to minimize the consequences of this fallout. And what he said is the way to minimize those consequences, you write, in the Old Testament, you write a certificate of divorce. That way the woman had a sheet of paper that said, see, I'm free to remarry. And the guy couldn't come back later and say, see, you're cheating on me. And she says, but you told me we were divorced. Where's your proof? She's got proof that she's been divorced. That, was, that certificate was a way of protecting the woman so she could move on with their life. And so for us, when it comes to marriage and divorce, marriage is, that's the deal. One man, one woman, forever. If, you, if, you're, if you're considering divorce, you've got to ask for permission from Jesus. Even if you've got one of those three conditions, I would say ask for permission. If you're being physically abused, you need to leave. If it's one of the other three, ask for permission. Remember, that's this whole thing. What is commanded, stay together. Permission, that's us saying, God, I can't do this anymore. I've tried. I'm doing, I've done everything that I can, and I can't make it. Will you let me out? And you, if he says yes, then, then you can move ahead. If he says no, you don't need to move ahead. That's part of living under his authority. Again, that's the difference between what is permitted and what is commanded. Remarriage is always a possibility. Always. My encouragement is to wait 12 months and figure out what in your own heart caused this thing to go south. Even if the other person is 98%, you're two. There's something in there that caused this relationship to go down the tubes, and some of that is probably in your own heart. You need to take time to look at that, or that's how second marriages become sixth marriages, because people don't, they don't change. They assume all the fault is somewhere else. They haven't made any changes in themselves. So I would say, absolutely. Remarriage is a possibility. Just give yourself time to become a new person. Uh, divorce, remarriage, I said it earlier, not the unforgivable sin. If you're thinking, man, I don't, what does this mean for me? Not, it means what it means for all of us. If, if in some area you're thinking, I didn't do that, I've messed up in this area, then you do the same thing you do with every sin. You confess and you repent and you receive God's grace and you move ahead. What about the relationship I'm in now? I'm married and you stay married. Divorcing, that, that doesn't help. That compounds the problem. You stay married. You ask God to bless the marriage that you're in and you know what he will because he makes everything new. And one other thing, and then we're going to take some time and pray before baptisms. My strong encouragement is to find other people who care about you staying together. We've got some, I've talked to probably five couples who've all been married over 10 years who have said, you let us know. We will meet with anybody, anybody who wants us to. If you're under 10 years in, four in 10 marriages end in divorce, and most of those that do end by year eight. If you're less than 10 years in, I would encourage you to find a couple who's got more than 10 years of experience and meet with them once a quarter. Take your little date money, buy their dinner, and just talk to them and listen to them. They will love it, and you need it. You need it. 
I will be more than happy to help, but I'm a Band-Aid. I can help you get out of the ditch, but you need somebody who's walking with you consistently throughout your life. Once a quarter, four times a year, if as a young married couple, anybody less than 10 years, if you would be willing just to open yourselves up to a couple who's older and say, this is where it's good, and this is where it's bad, and this is where it's confusing, it will do wonders for you. It, it makes there's somebody else who has a stake in you making it. It's not just about you. How many, m- many of y'all went to college? Y'all probably all had drop periods in college. You can pick up a class and you can drop it. You remember at the beginning, you could drop really easy. Drop ad, you mean, ah, this is, class is too early, this teacher's too hard, there's nobody good looking in this class. Whatever the reason are, you drop. And there was no pain. At Georgia, there was a point close to halfway where if you drop then, you got a WF, withdrawal with an F. Not very many people dropped after halfway because there was a huge price to pay. We live in a society which has marriage is hard, and we've made it easy to get out. So surprise, surprise, a lot of people get out. And what we want to do is make it hard for each other to get out. I want you to have to look me in the eye if you're walking away. You can still walk away. There's still reasons to do that. But I want you to be able to have to look me in the eye, and I'm going to hug you after you leave. That doesn't make sense. I'll hug you right before you leave. I will. But... We, need, we don't need to make it easy on one another. No guilt, no shame. But we want to we make it hard to leave. It's already hard enough to stay. And we want to make it difficult for one another to leave. Again, not being jerks, not being Pharisees, not being self-righteous, but in love saying this is what's best. And we believe God can, he can if you want to make it work and you want to make it work, I know God wants to make it work, so let's, let's dig in and figure this out. And having an an older, more seasoned couple in your life can really help during those times. All right, I want to close with this, and then we're going to do baptisms. We're going to pray for three groups. If you've been married uh, less than 10 years, I want you to stand up. 10 years or less, how about that? 10 years or less. Okay, if you've been married 10 years or more, I want you to find someone who's been married 10 years or less and put your hand on them. And I'm going to pray. Y'all pray, and I'm going to pray. God, we pray for these couples who are starting out. Even some of them are like nine years in. Am I still starting out? But absolutely. And God, my prayer is for solid foundation. God, all of the joy and the excitement that they felt dating and engagement and leading up to their wedding God as now they're getting into life and having kids and that 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 would continue not the emotions of it but that deeper level of contentment with one another God I pray if there are any little cracks in the foundation that you would put your magnifying glass on those and that particularly the guys would take ownership we want to be leaders then lead and lead by saying this is an area where we need to work And this is an area where I need to work. I pray that the men who are standing up right now would love their wives the way you loved us. God, I pray for joy and fulfillment. I pray at peace, for fun. God, all the busyness of being young, God, I pray for priority for this relationship. And God, we pray that you would protect it. We pray not one of these would be lost. 
Amen. All right. If you are this, if you're single and you would like to be married, is it okay for you to stand up? If you're, if the person you're dating is with you, this is not a loaded thing at all. I just, we want to pray for you. Is that is that too awkward? Come on, we're family. Bunch of sissies. If you want, if you want something, shouldn't you ask? So if you're single, you don't have to stand up if you don't want to. If you're single and you want to be married, stand up and we want to pray for you. If you've been married less than 10 years, if you've been married less than 10 years, grab, get around these guys. God, I thank you for these, and, and this is a desire of their heart, and maybe it was awkward to stand up, and I thank you for their boldness in doing that, and their saying, this is what I want. And God, I, I believe it's what you want for them. You say, if we delight ourselves in you, you'll give us the desires of our heart, and they're saying, this is it for me. And so, God, our prayer as a body, as their brothers and sisters, is yes. Yes, I pray that you would bring men to these women and women to these men. God, that you would connect them deeply at a heart level and that among these standing, God, I pray that there would be relationships formed that would last until death do them part. God, I pray for uh, contentment where they are. I know that's difficult, that they would remain in hope and expectation without getting anxious. And God, I pray as a family that we would not do anything that would make folks who are not yet married, feel less than at all. It's, it's not, no. We love these guys. And we pray your best for them in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you've been married more than 10 years, stand up. So this is my anecdotal. All right, we're going to need everybody, um, the single folks and the younger marrieds. So if you've been married more than 10, you should be standing. That's right, more than 10. So some of you have stood up twice. You can't be married less than 10 and more than 10. We only have, you only have no polygamy here. So if you've been married, this is what I've noticed anecdotally, and I talked to a counselor, and he said it's the case. Between years 17 and 18, people t- can kind of hit the skids. At that point, your kids are getting older. Maybe you're looking across, and again, He's got less hair. Maybe there's, you know, there's some stuff going on. You think, is this really the person who I want to spend the next 25 or 30 years with? We were co-parenting these children, and now I see that ending. Do I really want to stay connected? And so we want to take some time and pray for these. So if you're seated, put your hand on somebody who's standing up, and let's pray for them. God, my prayer for us in this category is, Lord, that we wouldn't lose any of the, the passion that drew us to our spouse in the first place and the, kind of the rat race of carpool and kids and job changes. and just and one, it, It's so easy just to become roommates who share the same bank account. And, God, my prayer for all of us is that we would intentionally sow into our marriage on a regular, whatever that looks like, if it's lunch, if it's dinner, if it's 
fun, whatever it looks like for us, God, we would intentionally sow into our marriage so that we can reap a harvest for years and years to come of peace and joy and love and fulfillment. God, I pray, I pray that we would not become so comfortable with our spouses that we miss them. Give us eyes to see them fresh every day. Give us hearts that say, I want to serve you today. Anything I can do to demonstrate my love for you. That's my commitment to you this day. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you all for doing that. Meredith Dykes. All right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to baptize Meredith Dykes. They clap for you. If you are on the brick side, there are index cards under your chair. Grab one and pass it down. And on the top of that index card, write Meredith. We believe God speaks to the body, through the body. And so uh, as Jesus heard a word from his father when he was baptized, we want Meredith to hear one as well. So as we're praying for her, I want you to write down picture, Bible verse, word, whatever you feel like God is giving you for her. I want you to write that down. There's a basket in the back uh, on that counter. Just drop it in there on the way out, and we will get those things to Meredith. So I'm going to ask you three questions, and then you're going to tell us why you want to be baptized. Perfect. Do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? Do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, who rose again on the third day, and ascended to the right hand of God, from where he'll come again to judge the living and the dead? Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Excellent. Do we have that? There's that microphone. Why don't you just turn that on and tell us why you want to be baptized today?